The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Well, it's so encouraging to see so many of you. Thank you for coming. Um, We're going to be talking about the image of God and what that means for us. So throughout church history... Different seasons of church history have called for fresh looks at particular doctrines. For example, like with the Reformation, it was, a, it was looking again, looking afresh at the doctrine of, of, of soteriology, so the study of salvation, how we, how we become Christians. So through Martin Luther, through John Calvin, it was a fresh look at what that means to come to know Jesus. Another one of these moments was in really World War I and World War II. Everybody thought it was the end of the world, so they studied eschatology. So this is when eschatology became really popular to talk about. They had prophecy conferences and all these things were talked about. So different seasons of church history, world history, have called on to get fresh looks at particular doctrines and teachings in Scripture. And even over the past 20 years, it's really been uh, another look at the doctrine of soteriology again. We've seen so many more people talking about the importance of the gospel and having a right understanding of the gospel. And these things have happened all throughout church history. But today, in, in, in our modern world with the things that are going on, people are asking questions like, who am I? What does it mean to be human? Why am I here? What is a man? What is a woman? What is the difference? Why does it matter? These are all really, really important questions. And because of just the way that modern times have changed, philosophies have changed, these are the kinds of questions that people are asking. And as Christians, we need to be prepared and equipped to give good, gracious, biblical, honest, gentle answers on these things. And luckily for us, the Bible provides wonderful, very clear answers on all these subjects. And that's called, really, it's under the rubric of anthropology. Anthropology, and it's the study of man. And it's not just men, it means mankind, right? The study of mankind. And it seeks to answer all of those kinds of questions I just mentioned. So over the next four weeks, we hope to look at many of the questions that people are asking us. And we hope to provide good, solid, biblical, gracious gospel answers for those questions. So we're going to be looking at the image of God and man. And tonight I want to focus on what does it mean for human beings to be created as body and soul? Body and soul. We're created in the image of God as body and soul. And to do that, what I want to do is I really want to use really the grand narrative of scripture, the big story of the Bible, and see how humanity See how mankind fits into that picture. And really, if you look at the notes in front, if you don't have notes, I'm sure you can just raise your hand and somebody would be happy to run and get you some, a set of notes if you need some notes. Um, but if you look at the notes, there's four big sa- stages or sections we're going to be looking at. Creation, fall, incarnation, resurrection. And these four words really serve as hooks to hang all of what we're going to talk about on. So there are hooks to hang things on. And really with creation, it starts at the beginning. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. That's what Christians believe. Christians believe that we are here because God put us here. God spoke us into being. There was nothing, and then there was something because God said something. So in creation, we were made embodied souls in God's image to reflect his glory to the rest of creation. So we were made in God's image. If you have your Bible, you can go to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read right now Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. By the way, I've been told that I have 30 minutes. i got a lot to talk about. So if any of you guys have one of those big lawn stage hooks, you just want to yank me off at like 31 minutes, I give you permission. I'll do my best to keep scooting. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And also, it's kind of awkward to ask questions or to make comments in a setting like this, but I want to invite you, if you have a comment, a question, even a snide remark, I'll take it. Just raise your hand, and I'll try to keep my eyes open. But I want to get some participation in here too. So Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we see that man and woman, mankind, we were created in the image of God. This was the final day of creation. This is the climax of everything God was doing. He stops and he finishes with really the pinnacle of what he was making, which was us, which is man and woman. And after every day of creation, he said it was good. After, man and, after Adam was made, he said it was very good. This was the best thing God had made so far. And he made us in his image. What does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Sometimes it's easier to t- start by talking about what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that you and I physically look like God. We all look different, first of all, right? It, it doesn't mean that. God is a spirit, We learn in John chapter 4. And those that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit. We don't physically look like God. God does not have a physical presence until Jesus. So it's not physical. It's we are his representative. We are his image. And I think it's most helpful to think about what an image is supposed to do. An image is a representation of something else. It's a representative of something. And we were created to image to serve as pictures, as analogies, as representatives, as signs, as mirrors reflecting God's glory to the rest of creation. It's like God made us a mirror, and we are supposed to kind of turn that mirror at a 45-degree angle so when people look at us, they see a reflection of God. That's how he created us. That's what it means to be in his image. And even with the things that he told Adam and Eve to do, in verse 28. Those are things like God does. God has dominion. God is fruitful. God multiplies things. God fills things. God subdues things. That's what he's doing in the rest of creation. He is forming things and he's filling things. 
He forms the earth and he fills it with stuff. He forms the seas, he fills it with stuff, with fish. This is what God does. This is what he tells Adam and Eve to do. Because just like God is the king of all the universe, he put Adam and Eve here to be the king and queen, the rulers of all creation, to image him, to represent him. So mankind has the unique ability to reflect God's glory in several ways in our thinking. We can think different than a bird can think in our feeling, in our doing. So in our mind, our emotions, and our will, we have a unique capacity for these things. We have a unique and singular capacity and calling to reflect God's glory to the rest of creation. So I have a question. If you want to pipe up, that would be great. In what ways are we like God? In what ways can we be like God? Any thoughts? I'm sorry? Creating? Yes, exactly. We, we create. God created things, and he gave us a creative impulse to make things too. Great. Any other things? Fatherhood. And even motherhood in one sense, right? The Bible gives analogies of God being like a, a brooding hen, right? So like both of those things. Parenting. Anything else? Love. Human beings ha- have really an impulse to love things, to cherish things. In what ways are we not like God? This is an easy one. We are not omniscient. You know how I know that? Because I didn't know you were going to say that. Right? Okay. How else? We are sinful. God is perfectly holy. We are not. Right? So... Theologians talk about these things like God's communicable attributes, those things that can communicate and relate to us, and God's incommunicable attributes. But either way, God made us to reflect his glory, to show the rest of creation what he is like. And that's what it means to be created in God's image. That's only part of what we're talking about. We're talking about how we were made embodied souls in God's image. To see that, go to the next page in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. So this is somewhat confusing, but God gives two unique accounts of creation. They're both referring to the same thing happening, but he's looking at it in different perspectives. Moses is telling the story from different perspectives. So here, he gives more background on what it meant to create Adam in particular. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then, after he did all these other things, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So we see here that he formed the man from the dust of the ground. That's where Adam's name comes from. And we see he formed his body. So God gave Adam a body. And then it says... He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That word, living creature, in Hebrew is the word nefesh. Elsewhere, it's translated soul. So we see here the creating of Adam's body and Adam's soul. Adam's soul came from the very breath of God. 
We read elsewhere that the scriptures, scriptures are God-breathed. In a very real sense, human beings are God-breathed. God breathed life into us, and that's why we have life. So Adam has a body, and he has a soul. Our body is pretty obvious. It's the external, it's the physical part of our person. The soul is the internal, the spiritual, the inner life of a person. We are one person, one whole person, because we have a body and we have a soul. These things are distinct from one another, but they are also inseparable from one another, except for death, and we'll get there. So we are one person, we are body, we are soul, we are mind, we are matter. We live in a day in which people want to separate that, which people want to separate our mind, who we think we are, from our matter, who we are, where people want to argue that what our body is can be separate from what our soul is, who we are on the inside. I'm sure we can all think of several examples of this. Transgenderism would be one of these examples where it's argued that we can have a different person in our soul, in our mind, in our spirit, however you would talk about it, than what is reflected in our body. And the Bible shows a picture that we are body and we are soul at the same time. What our body says we are, our soul is. And Lord willing, it goes both ways. So we are embodied souls. Some people say that we are a soul and we have a body. I don't know if that's the most helpful way to talk about it because your body is you. Your soul is you. It's all the same. It's all part of you. You are your body in a very real sense. You are your soul. Again, there are distinct parts, but they're inseparable parts to who you are. You are a body and you are a soul. And our bodies and our souls interact with one another. This is how God created us. This is why when you feel nervous about something, you feel it in your gut. Like you feel it physically in your body when you are feeling like an emotional thought about being nervous. Or this is why scientists can see synapses firing in your brain, making connections when you're thinking about something, even when you're dreaming because your body and your soul are connected. This is how God made us. God made us like this, body and soul, so that we could represent a a transcendent God. We have the very breath of God in us to the rest of creation, which is created. So God made us with the perfect capacity to reflect his glory to created beings. That's why we're body and that's why we're soul at the same time. So this is creation. In creation, we were made embodied souls in God's image to reflect his glory to the rest of creation. But that beautiful picture didn't last for long. If you go to the next page in your Bible, we go to Genesis chapter 3. And at the fall, sin marred the body and soul of humanity, separating us from God and one another. But God's image in us remained. So Genesis 3, really 15 through 19, we see what happens after the fall. And even before that, chapter 2, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Their bodies 
had no clothing, and they felt no outward or inward shame about that. But then sin happened, and their first, their first response to internal sin, internal spiritual struggle, was to cover their bodies. Again, we see, just see this innate connection between our bodies and our souls. And then God speaks really curses to all the individuals involved. He starts with the serpent. He goes to Eve. He goes to Adam. When he speaks to Satan, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity, division between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, some offspring, we know who that is, is some offspring shall bruise your head, Satan, serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. Then to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have not listened to the voice of your, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth to you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. He goes on. So we see God's curses affect the bodies of human beings and also the souls of human beings. If you recall back when I talked about what it means to be in God's image, he gave Adam and Eve certain things to do, to have dominion. Later on in chapter two, he said to work the field, to keep it, to guard it. He told them to be fruitful, to multiply. And now we see pain when women are fruitful and when they multiply, pain in childbearing. We see pain when Adam works and keeps the field, when he subdues the earth. So the very things that God created Adam and Eve to do, the very task he gave them are now difficult. It hurts their bodies to do so. Because of sin, it affects our bodies. Also because of sin, we have physical death. God promised the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, they didn't physically die on that day, but their bodies started to die that day. They started to decay that day. Things were different that day. They had stubbed toes after that. They had headaches. Cancer came after that. Heart attacks came after that. The physical decay of our bodies is a result of the inward decay of our souls by choosing sin. So at the fall, sin has marred us body and soul. We see soul. We see that that death wasn't just physical death. It was spiritual death. Soon after this, Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of God. The garden was, was like a holy of holies where God was there in his presence, in his glory, walking with his people. And now they got kicked out. They were separated from God. They were also separated from one another. The first thing they did is Adam started to blame Eve for everything. Like immediately there was division between them. We see division between different parts of humanity in the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. There is spiritual decay and division and destruction happening because of sin. Again, so both our bodies and our souls have been marred, have been damaged by, by sin. But later on, you can turn there if you want to, be really quick. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, we see an interesting little quip here. 
is after the flood. God's blessing Noah. And he says, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. So this is hundreds of years after the fall. And God reminds us that they are still created in the image of God. And that gives human life particular value and dignity and importance. So while sin has marred us, it has damaged how God created us in his image, both in our bodies and our soul, it's not altogether gone. Which means that every person you have ever laid eyes on, every person that has ever existed in all of humanity is in the image of God. And God says because of that, that there's value, that human life has value primarily because they're in God's image. They're in the image of the most glorious, most wonderful, greatest, best person being in the universe. They're in the image of God, and that gives us value. But again, that's not the end of the story either. Fast forward a few thousand years, enter Jesus. John chapter 1. So in the incarnation, God the Son took on a human body and soul so that he might redeem us, help us, and create a new man. John chapter 1, we really see a recreation. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This word was none other than Jesus, as we know. And in verse 14, we see this new revelation that has happened. And the word, the word that was with God, the word that created everything, everything was created through him, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in the incarnation... Jesus took on a human body, a human soul. He took on human flesh, and he dwelt with us. He tabernacled with us. Once again, the the presence of God, the glory of God, took residence here on earth in a human body and soul. I was talking with Adam about this today. Any church history buffs out there, there is a a heresy from the early church, I'm looking at John because I think he knows it, that said that Jesus only had a human body but not a human soul. It was just like this, this outward thing, but he didn't really have a human soul. Does anybody know what that heresy is called? Gnosticism? Docetism. They were different. I don't remember. Is it, is it docetism? Dualism. I think it's very close to docetism. It rhymes with schmutikianism. If somebody say Eutychianism, you're right. It's Eutychianism. Anyway, that, that was for bonus points. You don't need the bonus points. Eutychianism. So there, there's heresies that deny that Jesus truly had a human body and soul. But the scripture teaches that he was a person, which means he had both of those things. It's called the hypostatic union of Christ. He was fully God. He was fully man at the same time. 
So this eternal word became flesh, and he dwelled among us. And he did this to redeem us, to save us. So the, the problem, the curse of humanity, the curse of our bodies and our souls, Jesus entered into our experience. And it certainly, he, he bore the curse of sin on the cross, but, but he bore the curse of a lifetime of sin in one sense in his body. Jesus suffered the physical ailments and weaknesses that we do. In one sense, Jesus lived a lifetime under the bodily curse of sin. And he did this to help us. In Hebrews 4, it talks about how Jesus is our high priest. It says, verse 15, chapter 4, we don't have a high priest, a mediator, a go-between, who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, physical, spiritual, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because of Jesus' bodily presence with us, because of his fleshly presence, he can sympathize with us. We can have greater confidence to go to him. He did this to help us, to redeem us. He also did it to help us to create a new man. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, we see this really talking about the division between Jews and Gentiles in the church. Paul is showing how Christ came to create one new man. Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself one new man. Jesus came to redeem us and to create a new humanity. Again, this recreation. Jesus is here working to undo the effects of the fall. Which lead us finally to the resurrection. In the resurrection, the believer's soul will be reunited with a glorified heavenly body. All throughout 1 Corinthians 15, this is what Paul is talking about. Again, my time is coming up quick, so i got to scoot. The two big things I want to call your attention to. In Christ's resurrection, Paul argues that Christ's resurrection was the first fruits, the beginning of our resurrection. And that because Christ was raised from the dead, those who trust in him will also be raised from the dead. Because at death, we, we suffer a separation of that body and soul. This is so unnatural. This is not how it was supposed to be in a very real sense. We were created body and soul. Again, these things are distinct but inseparable. At death, those things are separated, ripped apart. Our soul, our spirit goes to God or to hell. Our bodies remain here. That's an unnatural separation. At the resurrection of the dead... Both the righteous and the wicked will be reunited with their bodies. And the righteous, those who trust in Christ's righteousness, will be reunited with their bodies and will be given new, glorified, heavenly bodies, Paul talks about. So we see the reunion of body soul, the final defeat of death because of Jesus' resurrection. 
So really, the, the Bible in one sense is a story of how God created us body and soul, sin ripped it apart, and Jesus comes to reunite these things that were ripped apart by sin. All that to say, our bodies and our souls really matter. We are embodied souls, and that makes a big difference in how we think about everything. If that's true, everything is different. So for five minutes, let me look at different sets of implications, different things that we should think about that are true because we're made in God's image, body and soul. First category, think concentric circles. You can start with yourself and go out for ourselves. How does this fact, how do these truths that were created body and soul change the way we think about ourselves? One thing, we could say a lot of things. I'm going to say one. We should be aware of the trap of obsessing over or neglecting our bodies. Most of us know not to neglect our souls. But it's really easy to either neglect or to obsess over our bodies. Particularly in our day, the temptation is to obsess over our body image. Welcome Instagram, right? This is what so much of social media does is it obsesses over what our bodies look like. But in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says that these, these bodies are wasting away. They're wasting away. And that wasting away, he argues, is preparatory for us to take on glory one day. So we don't need to feel shackled and we don't need to feel this the constant pull to make our bodies look like something that don't already look like necessarily. At the same time, we don't need, we should not neglect our bodies. Paul said, bodily exercise profits a little. So do it a little bit. You should exercise. But godliness profits more, right? The Bible gives us these priorities. We should care about our bodies and our souls and prioritize, prioritize those things accordingly. But be, beware of neglecting or obsessing over your bodies because they matter. Now, what about for Christian community? So since we are embodied souls, that's true of all of us, we need to be committed to practicing embodied community with one another, particularly in the church, and not just virtual community. Embodied community matters. Being in the same room, sitting in the same seats with people, under the same roof, Bumping shoulders, elbows, that matters. That's important. Hebrews tells us not to neglect the meeting together, as is the habit of some. Don't neglect coming together. It matters. So during months of COVID, weeks of COVID, when we weren't able to meet, we watched church. We did Zoom church, virtual church. And we, we, most people in this room know that wasn't the same thing. That wasn't supposed to be. It was encouraging for a while it lasted, but that was not God's intent forever. God intends you to worship with, in physical presence with, other Christians. And that changes the way we think about other relationships too, with technology. Again, whatever happens with the metaverse and all these other things, that's not real life. It's not real. Twitter would make you think that everybody's just a raging mean lunatic. Instagram will make you think that everybody's just beautiful and better than you. None of those things are real. 
Real life is an embodied presence with other people. Use those things to a certain extent, but know that that's not real life. Since we are embodied souls, embodied community matters. Since others are body and soul, we must seek to minister to their whole person. I think for Christians, particularly for Christians who care about people's souls, which is a good thing, not at all denigrating that, it's really easy for us, it's even like counseling discipleship situations to ignore the needs of the body. I think most of us aren't inclined to ignore the needs of the soul. Maybe we are inclined to ignore the needs of the body. Doctors matter. If you're meeting with somebody who's struggling, who's experiencing depression, anxiety, you can ask them some basic questions. Are you sleeping good? You're only getting two hours of sleep a night? Hmm, start there. Start there. How are you eating? You like get some exercise? Have you seen a doctor? Like those things matter. Because of the connection with our bodies and our souls, we should seek to minister to the whole person. James 2.16 warns us against somebody coming to us in, in need of food and us saying, ah, go in peace, be warmed and filled. It's like, what good is that? There's no good in that. You can, you can give them these nice religious platitudes, but if you don't care, take care of their bodies, what are you doing? So since other people are body and soul, it affects the way we care for them. It affects the way we pray for them. It affects the encouragement, the counsel, the discipleship we give them. So think about that. And lastly, how does this affect our world, how we view these things that are happening? So we should recognize the inherent value of all the human life. This affects how we think of issues like abortion, the start of life, immigration, racism, caring for the elderly, euthanasia. I could keep listing them off. This affects how we think about all of life. If we are in the image of God, then it changes things. If people have inherent human value, it changes things. It doesn't mean that Christians might not disagree over an issue like immigration. There might be philosophical disagreements about how we should implement something like that. But we should have a shared foundational understanding that everybody has inherent value. And Josh said this earlier, and it was really helpful. In all of these different areas, one of the commonalities is that oftentimes these are things that are pretty not like us. It's, it's easy to not relate to a baby in the womb. It might be easy to not relate naturally to an immigrant from a different place because they're over there. The baby's over there. The elderly are over there oftentimes. We, we put them off. It's easy for us to not include these things in our experience and in how we think about people. But, but God shows us that all, all humans, every person, has inherent value. And it changes the way we think about these things. Psalm 139 is an example of like how, this, how we think about a baby in the womb. Every person is fearfully and wonderfully made. God has knit them together in the mother's womb. He has created them in the image of God, and it changes how we think about these issues. So we could talk forever about this, but I, I see the, the long the stick coming out to get me. But all of these things are, are related to the big study of anthropology. What does it mean to be human? Who am I? Why am I here? Why has God put me here? All those questions, really good questions. So as we think about these things, 
I want you to just consider and apply these things to your own areas of life. Quick question. Sorry. If I could ask you can ask a question. So now if I go over, it's your fault. Thank you. I like that. I have gone over. <laughs> no, you're good. That's a question. So, so, so how, let me try to phrase the question for everyone else. How do we reconcile when Paul talks about our sinful flesh with having, having soul? So really, what does Paul mean by sinful flesh? Does that, inclu- does that include our physical body? I would argue that Paul is talking about two related but distinct things for a person. Paul is using sinful flesh really as an analogy for the sinful part of who we are. Now, our flesh, our physical body has been affected by sin, but our physical body is not sinful, inherently bad, evil in and of itself. So I would say Paul is talking about two different things. He's using sinful flesh as an analogy to talk about really flesh versus spirit, Holy Spirit life in a person. And oftentimes what Christians have done and non-Christians, cults have done these things is if they've, they've taken those kind of thoughts and applied them and it really made them say that flesh is inherently bad. That's Platonism or more recently Gnosticism in which physical life is bad. And Gnosticism and Platonism really by Plato have led people to two very different extremes. On one hand, it makes that since everything physical is bad, then we should just avoid all physical things. Avoid drink, avoid food, avoid any kind of physical pleasure. Avoid it because it's all bad. On the other extreme, physical is bad. Physical doesn't matter. Physical doesn't have value. Do whatever you want. Eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow you die. It doesn't matter. But both of those extremes are not what God has for us, right? So all that to say is there have been people that have attached a kind of sinfulness and evil to human flesh and body, and that leads to really bad places. So that's a really good question. Yeah. So as we look at the rest of the few weeks, we're going to deal more specifically with some of these issues. We're going to talk about gender and sexuality and how that's related to what it means to be human. We're going to look at the issues of, around racism and ethnic animosity. And we're also going to look like what it means to be created in God's image as, as workers in vocation. So we're going to look at some of these different things. But if you have any other questions or thoughts, feel free to stop me afterwards. Adam or Josh probably happy to help you too. But I've gone over. So what I'm going to do, we got six minutes. Sorry. For the next six minutes, what I would like you to do is look around you and just find some people to pray with. And specifically, I would like you to ask one another really quickly, 30-second answers, How can I pray for you, body and soul? How are you doing, body and soul? How can I pray for you? How can I lift up your needs to the Lord? So just look around you. Try to meet with somebody that you didn't come in here with. You can meet together, but look for somebody that you didn't come in here with and pray with them for the next six to 10 minutes. And then somebody, and then Josh will close us in prayer. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. 
For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.